0: Maybe late night feeling off, and you go on WebMD and find out that's your last night on earth. Uh, I've definitely had that where I'm not even like totally awake, and I'm like, why, why is this happening? In fact, we had a moment I called my wife once uh, uh, in the bathroom. She was in the other room, and I was like, I think my heart stopped. WebMD says, she's like, Your heart didn't stop because you're calling me right now. Uh, sometimes maybe they are to t- diagnose a problem. Um, I think sometimes we like to go to a place called Wikipedia, which uh, I hear pedia is based off of that book thing that Kelly had at her house, the uh, encyclopedias. Uh, uh, Wikipedia is often a place. And it, and as I've been thinking about, like, where's the right place to go to get the right information to really diagnose a problem or an issue or maybe learn a fact or understand something better, um, I started looking into Wikipedia. I said, I'm sure there's stuff, there's been moments on Wikipedia uh, that weren't correct. And thankfully, people have compiled some of the greatest hits of bad information on Wikipedia. So I thought it might be fun to share those, to get us thinking about where do we go uh, to diagnose, to figure out like what's really wrong or figure out what, what what life really is supposed to be or how things actually work. So just share some of these to kind of get us in the mood to be thinking about this. These are just some of my favorites that were church appropriate. Uh, and underlined in red is mostly where someone came in and changed Wikipedia I put maybe not right information. First law of thermodynamics is to not talk about thermodynamics. Uh, This one is funny and kind of mean. The the description of the God complex says to also see Kanye West. (laughs) That's sad. That's mean. He doesn't think he's God, I don't think. This one, I laughed out loud to myself. The Ray Romano page, actually, everything turned to hypothetical verbs. So he could be an American actor, stand-up comedian, screenwriter, voice actor. He might have been known for his role as Cop Capra loves Raven. I love the whole thing was changed. So he might have been Ray Romano. He might not have been. Uh, the run-on sentence page is actually a giant run-on sentence. It goes on and on and on with a lot of comments, commas, which feels right actually. Like it, you experience a run-on sentence as you go through. Uh, this guy. Bryant B. Newcomb has some interesting trivia that he was noted for refusing to use a comb unless it was purchased that day <laughs> to There's no way that's true. I hope not. I assume that's not correct, but would that not be awesome if he just insisted? That sounds like a thing It starts when you're six and you just keep it going your whole life that you need a new comb all the time. Uh, this one uh, is also pretty funny. Jason Terry has, has not passed away, but uh, in his thing, it says that he was dunked on by LeBron James and he actually died at that moment. It says when he was died on March 18th at 9.01 p.m., the moment he was dunked on by LeBron James. I just think that's such a funny uh, jab at him. Not true though. So if you went that, that day that that was on there, you might think Jason Terry had passed away during a dunk. Uh, this one I put on here just for Josh today. It's interesting, you look up drummers, it says a drummer is someone who hangs out with musicians. (laughs) Interesting fact about drummers. I know, I I believe that's not true, Josh, I don't know. I don't think it's changed. Uh, And then this one is awesome. Uh, This guy posted that when he drinks some, he likes to go and make Missouri slightly larger on the Wikipedia page. (laughs) At first glance, you don't know what's happening and then you realize Missouri is bigger than it's supposed to be (laughs) on the Wikipedia page. That is awesome. That over the years it's just bigger. I hope a kid screenshotted this for like a, a assignment at some point and put the wrong U.S. map. Um, I I love this uh, idea though, right? That you go to Wikipedia hoping it's true. It's why maybe Wikipedia isn't uh, like the best source in a class if you cite it. But there's a place to go to kind of figure out what's going on, figure out the right, the true facts. And and today we're going to continue as we're in this book of the book of Romans, thinking about that. And today it's one of the things that I think we can learn. Um, from Paul's writing here in chapter 7. So we're in a series in Romans. Uh, we're uh, getting almost halfway through here by Christmas. We'll be about halfway through our series, uh, taking our time and just really getting to soak in it, understand it, and better understand really the gospel and then how does that play out in our lives. And so we're in our second part of it that we're calling How Do We Live Then? and What Does It Look Like Then? How does it affect us if we understand this gospel? That We start in the beginning of understanding sin as broken as we're people who turn away from God and create, uh, worship created things rather than the creator, and how that plays out for all of us. And then now we're looking at what does that look like? How is God, what is God doing within us? And just a helpful reminder, we do have resources on our app, our website, uh, messages from all three of our locations. There's a podcast specifically on Romans. And then there's scripture journals too, and there's still some out there I saw. So th- those are free for all of you, so please grab one of those as a way just to study and meditate on the book together. We are in, uh, in Romans 7, though, kind of the middle of it, um, as we make our way to 8 and end before Christmas here. Uh, and so let me just read our passage for today to us, and then we'll take some time to just walk through it a little bit and uh, see what God's got for us today. This is Romans 7, uh, 7 through 12. What then shall we say? We've been hearing that phrase a lot. Paul is kind of having this conversation uh, with himself, but really with us, the reader. Uh, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness for apart from the law this, this uh, sin dies lies dead it was once alive apart from the law but when the commandment came i was once alive but when the commandment came sin came alive and i died the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteousness righteous and good all right. There's a lot of things in there. We're gonna hopefully get a chance to unpack those real quick, though, just so you know where we're at, because this doesn't just start like this. He's written this this long letter to this church, helping them understand real core basic doctrines, it's really the foundation of of what we believe. And I'm gonna go back just a chapter here, but in this chapter he starts he he starts talking about how this grace that comes on us. We're sinners, undeserved, really deserving of death. What we're owed is death, but Jesus comes and rescues us from that. We call that grace. He gives us this free gift. He's rescued us. And as we sin more, more grace comes. And so more, more and more grace. And so we might ask this question, so then should I keep sinning so that there can be more grace? He asks a, a real question. I think Paul has, is in many debates, is in many environments, is around lots of people. And he's uh, hearing what people and philosophers in his time are thinking. Uh, and so I think these are real arguments. He's going, I've heard these. This is what I'm guessing you might be thinking as I say that and maybe even just like as uh, a sinner I might go well I'm going to find a way maybe to justify that I can still sin and so he says in in Romans 6 what shall then uh, then should we say are we to continue to sin so that grace can abound he says by no means uh, because you've died to that you're not that person anymore and so he explains first one of the ways he wants us to understand this is that you're not that person who are you now? you're actually someone saved by grace Jesus has uh united with you and brought you in the grave and pulled you out of the grave and so you're a different person now and as we go through Romans more he says he explains whose we are but thanks be to God that you are once slaves of sin that have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are com- uh, committed and having been set free from sin you have, um, have become slaves of righteousness so now we've become we have a, a new authority that we look to We're no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. We now look to a God who has made us to do great things and good things and serve him. And that's actually what we're created for. That's what will bring us joy and peace. That's what will bring us hope. And so who we are and whose we are, and I call this next part, where do we live? It's this, uh, Paul uses the picture of marriage and saying, uh, you're actually no longer in this relationship under the law. That brings death, but now you're in this relationship with Christ. And so, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to uh, another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And so our, it's like we're married to Jesus. He dies and raises from the grave. It's this picture of unity. And so this husband of ours has rescued us. And now, now we don't bear fruit of death, but we bear the fruit of righteousness. We used this picture last week, just thinking, Jesus has brought us from this land that we lived in under this code of that land, this law, and he has rescued us to a new land of grace, a people united under this grace. And so that's the place we're in now. And so we're talking about this law, and it seems like this law maybe is bad. Why do we have the law? What's the point? And so Paul asks another question, and maybe this is a question you're asking as well as we get into our passage for today. What then shall we say? That the law is Sin? And he says, by no means. So is the law sin? Is the law the thing that's causing us to, to turn from God or causing us to harm one another, causing us to walk away from Jesus, causing us to live in a certain way? He wants to, he wants to make sure we clarify this, what the law does. And that's, that's our hope today is to, to continue thinking about what does the law do and why is the law? And why would this passage end with the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good? So, we know that part, and he's going to hopefully help us understand what is this law thing. And so he says, by no means, the law is not sin. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So there's a separation between the law and the sin, and he's saying the law actually helps us know that, that there is sin, that there is a problem. It has diagnosed us. It's, we've gone to WebMD, and we said, what's up with the law? And this brokenness, and it said... And WebMD has helped us understand that we're sinners. I don't think that's ever an option in WebMD. I've never done it where it said, like, you, you, might have, uh, you might have the flu, you might be a sinner, you might be, but this is what the law does. It, it, it shows us, and indicates to us that we have sin in us. Like an assessment, last week we talked a moment about this, like an assessment that says, hey, I want you to be aware that you have sin in you. Why would I want to be aware I have sin in you? Because then you know the, the goodness of grace and that there you know that there's a need for someone to rescue you from this. So he goes on, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So he's going to get into an example. And he's going to actually use one of the, what we would call the Ten Commandments, uh, kind of the last of the Ten Commandments. He says, "You should." The law tells me you should not covet, and now I know, oh, that's something I should not have been doing, and now I know, oh, I am doing that, and I'm a, I have sin in me. But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of uh, covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So the law indicates to us, kind of makes it come alive. It ignites this sin, it, it shows us that there's an issue, that there's a disease, that there's a brokenness, there's something off. It, because. We weren't seeing it. We still, right, we don't see it. We find a way to justify it or explain it away. And the law, God brings this law. We see in the Old Testament, he says, hey, here's the way I want you to live. This is how I created you to live. It's one that Jesus then later actually, as he preaches, clarifies even more. This is really an issue even of your heart, not just actions. And he says, you're not. So when we read the Ten Commandments, we could read the Ten Commandments and say, okay, I got to do these things so God's happy with me. Or I think we could do what I I think Paul is trying to encourage us here with is you read the Ten Commandments and you go, I don't do these things well. I don't know if I can. What do I do now? You find yourself in a place you go, I don't know what to do. It's something outside of me has to rescue me from this, has to cure me of this. And so it should help turn us to a place where we go, oh, I I need help. In fact, he uses the last uh, of the Ten Commandments. I think it's interesting because the last one is the one that really speaks to a heart thing. The rest of the Ten Commandments are like, uh, don't kill people, uh, respect your mom and dad. Those are things where we could see that in a person. I could go, okay, I can do those things. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he actually shares kind of the Ten Commandments, but then says, hey, don't kill anyone. And what, I, what God really wants you there is even if you hate someone in your heart, it's like you're killing them. So he gets to the heart issue. And covet is one that we don't really know except for in your heart. So Paul uses covet. I wonder if it's because it's a real heart-conditioned thing. It's on the list of the Ten Commandments. It's the one where you go, I don't know if someone's coveting or not just from watching them, but that's a real heart issue. so He says, now that I learned that, I learned that when I covet, when I say I want that thing, I desire the thing I want, that becomes almost a worship. That's actually an issue. And now it has it's signaled to me there's a problem with your heart. Augustine uh, actually tells a little story about this passage. I really like this story. I also love this. This is a a painting I just found. Uh, This is an artist that um, read the works of Augustine and then wanted to paint a painting of young Augustine, what he thought he would have looked like as he contemplated things. I just think it's cool that people are creating these things. This is what Augustine says in in the Confessions about this exact idea. He says, Near our vineyard, there was a pear tree loaded with fruit. Though the tree was not particularly attractive... Either in color or taste, I and some other youths received the idea of shaking the pears off this tree and carrying them away. We set out late at night and stole all the fruit that we could carry. And this was not to feed ourselves. We may, we may have tasted a few. But then we threw the rest to the pigs. Our real pleasure was simply in doing something that was not allowed. I had plenty of better pears on my own. I only took these ones in order that I might be a thief. Once I had taken them, I threw them away, and all I tasted in them was my own iniquity, which I enjoyed very much. There's something. I think this is something that Paul's even getting here. There's something even about hearing, don't do this, maybe especially in our youth, that, that the real excitement, even the real joy, maybe even peace in those things we desire, comes from the fact now I get to break that rule. Now I get to break that law. He goes on, in a perverse way all men imitate you who put themselves far from you. That then was it that I loved in that theft of mine. What was it that he loved in that theft? In what way, awkwardly or perversely, did I imitate my Lord? Did I find it pleasant to break your law unpunished? And so producing a darkened shadow of omnipotence. So what he's saying is like I in a sense got to act like God. I got to sneak in the dark. I got to take this thing. I got to decide what to do with it. I got to throw it away or eat it. And all that I got to kind of in a shadowy way be like God. What a sight. A servant running away from his master and following the shadow. Could I enjoy what was forbidden for no other reason except that it was forbidden. It's, it's the way that the law brings out this sin in us. There's a disease in us, a brokenness in us, a condition that we're in. And the law highlights it. It really brings it up. So we go, oh, this is the problem. Uh, N.T. Wright tells a story uh, uh, for this passage. He says, if you could imagine your home uh, was getting a new security system put in. So you're getting all the cool cameras and the sensors and the pad, and you're getting the keychain fob thing. But the day that they're supposed to install it, you're unable to be at home. And so you just ask your nice neighbor who you've known for years, you say, will you come over and just be at my house while they install it? Can you learn how it works so then you can tell me how to run my security system? And then your neighbor, in the process, learning about how your cameras work, where all the sensors are, learns your codes, just starts feeling this like feeling of, wow, I could, I could sneak in here. I could take their stuff. No, no one could stop me. I know exactly how the security system works. I know exactly how to break into this people's house. They've they've given me the keys, essentially. So I was maybe even justifying it in like, well, it's their fault. They shouldn't have had me help them with the security system. And so your neighbor now becomes a thief because he was given an opportunity that he did not have before. Your security system is great. It works wonderfully. It's it's there for a reason. But your neighbor has seized the opportunity and has decided to... uh, thief you uh, because they have found an opportunity. So Paul, I think here, is trying to encourage us in that and saying, it hey, is sin that's in you. Uh, the law has now is, is allowing that sin to seize this opportunity that's found. It, it knows the way in. And so we'll continue here. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. This law uh, isn't itself the problem. It's the thing that has has given, uh, has, has awoken the sin. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proves to be death to me. For sin sees an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. This is an interesting moment because he actually uses the word I here, which doesn't happen all the time in Romans. Uh, and so this, this is actually highly debated in what this could be. It could be, is it actually just Paul saying that there was a time in his life that he was apart from the law? And then once the law came, is there a time in his life where he, maybe he's referring to like becoming a Pharisee, and as he understood the law more, it actually caused him to sin more, um, and that came alive, and that caused him to turn to a life that was ultimately death without Christ. Um, some say maybe he's referring just kind of like I as in the, like we say the word we, like the royal we, the royal I, just saying, hey, there was a time when we, I, we once were alive apart from the law. Maybe he's looking all the way back to a time when God first created Adam and Eve when this wasn't an issue, when sin wasn't the diagnosis for us. Um, either way, in all that, there's, there's a, what we want to make sure we understand here is that sin comes alive and sin brings death, and so the law here indicates a a, a death sentence to us, and it also indicates a uh, a commandment that was promised life but proved to be death. This is the part I want us to think about now. And so this is this is what sin. This is a way actually to even explain sin: something promised life to us but actually became death to us. This picture, I think, and even here, I wonder if he's trying to help us. Point us back, remind us of that moment all the way back in the garden when sin comes alive, when it brings death. This is in Genesis 2. Uh, This is actually Genesis 3, but I wrote 2. Uh, Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field. Now, right before this, right in Genesis 1 and 2. We're almost to three. We're here three here on the screen, but one and two. God creates everything. People are with God. Things are good. Sin is not the issue there. God actually gives them a commandment. He says, don't eat from this one tree. It will bring death. So he actually does give them a thing. He says, this will bring death. And then this happens, right? We know this story. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this serpent comes, right? Satan comes and he questions her. did God actually say you can't eat from this tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the, tr- of the fruit of the trees in the garden. No, he actually said, yeah, he promised us all these trees, all this fruit. But he did say you shall not eat from the tree that is in the middle, though. There's one tree because if you touch it even, you die. So God said, don't go to this, that brings death. Go to all these other things. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There's a promise of not death, of life. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will, not, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There it is. This is the same thing Augustine had, right? you promise something to be life, it's not, that's not going to hurt you, because you and you'll actually get to be like God. In the end, I think the promise really often is just you get to be like God, do God-like things and maybe even start believing you are God and you won't die. That's the promise, right? You, you'll have life and you'll be like God. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make uh, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband, and they ate it. And their eyes were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we know this, this story, right? So they actually do eat of it. They believe the promise that's going to bring life, and we find out it actually does not. It brings death. That would be a great summary of Genesis, <laughs> at the beginning of Genesis. Uh, there was a promise of life. It actually brought death. This is the story of my life. A promise of something I'm going to run towards. A pro- th- th- this is what you need. This is what it will bring. It'll bring this kind of lifestyle, this kind of person. You'll be a new person, a different person, a whole person. And it actually does not bring the life that is called, that I think it's going to bring. It's the same sin. This first sin is the same one we're seeing, right? Is we think, how do we diagnose that sin? Well, it ends up coming back to the same thing that we see in the garden, a belief that a promise of something other than God will bring us life, and that that thing will not eventually bring us death. It's understanding this one—the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. This law, this law that came. So he, he's referring here in this passage to even specifically to do not covet, and then you realize I do covet. I realize it brings death to me. But I think in general, this idea is what we would call idolatry. This is the one of the foundational problems as a person, as a human, as a Christian, is we continue to believe the promises of things for life that, are, that aren't Jesus and then they don't always bring life. It actually brings me to a, a game we like to play at our house, and I'd love for you to play this game. This is a little, um, actually, a little quiz for you. Let's see if you can do this. I like to call this game, What Are They Selling? This is a game where we watch. So at our house, we don't, um, we don't like watch TV. Te- well, we watch TV plenty, but we don't watch TV, TV, you know, like with commercials. And so every once in a while we watch usually sports. And so when our kids were young, commercials were like exciting because there were these mini shows that had like cool things they had never seen before. Uh, Because I grew up with commercials. We had to like suffer through them or that's when you like go to the bathroom and come back. Um, And so every once in a while we watch something actually has commercials. And so Sometimes we like to play this game called, what are they selling? And so when a commercial comes on, we see who can guess what they're trying to sell in the commercial. And so this is my hope for us. I have a, uh, a chunk of commercials. I got about three minutes of commercials here. We're going to watch together. I'd like you to think about this. What are they trying to sell me? What are they selling? It might be obvious. You might go, oh, they're trying to sell me Coca-Cola. But like, what are they really selling you? What's the promised thing in these. This is a classic a swath of throughout history of commercials. And so I want you to guess these at the end we'll see if you can figure out what what are they actually trying to sell me? What promise is given to me? Are we good, Aaron, to start? So you guys grew up together? Yes. Yeah, since third grade. <laughs> what are you looking at? I, I'm not looking at anything. we're not good uh, enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What do you that big that? supermodels? Oh, Jesus, 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 supermodels Great. what do you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me, Brad. Right. Eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. soul losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. And only Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. Say, Coca-Cola. Kentucky Fried Chicken, Mom. You got it, superstar. Kids love Kentucky fried chicken, just like other folks. And with all those delicious fixings, what a meal. It's good! Real goodness from Kentucky Fried Chicken. A bull rider. Is bold. Now a bull rider on a plane is bolder than bold. And if he jumps from that plane, well, that's bolder than bolder than bold. And if he jumps while eating a Butterfinger bar and all its crispity crunchity peanut buttery glory, well that's bolder than bolder than bolder than bold. And if he eats it, honey, even when his mother tells him not to, you'll spoil your dinner. That's bolder than bolder than bolder than bolder than bold. Bolder than bold. Crispity, crunchity, peanut buttery. Campbell's in the covers, like money in the bank. My kids love Campbell's vegetable soup. It's a good way to help fill them up, and the price is right. Campbell's in the cupboard. Oh, you look good. Thank you. Hey, see the guy taking my little girl out, huh? Yep. Huh. You know what, why don't you go ahead and take my new car? Thanks, Pops. Go ahead, baby. Watch this. Boom! (laughs) Here you go, sir. Because a dad's got to do what a dad's got to do. Honey, what'd you guys do tonight? Stop firing as I just from You wanna live? is talking on the phone getting out of hand look out you need phone relief the ultimate enhance free phone design watch simply attach the special double back fastener to any phone then attach the phone relief headset it's that easy hands-free, pain-free, you'll wonder how you ever lived without it. It's perfect for remotes. Now talk hands-free anywhere, anytime. Office work is a pain for Mr. Phone in the Neck, but you won't miss a beat with hands-free freedom. A must for the entire office. Work goes quicker and easier. The padded headset removes this easily and is fully adjustable. Best of all, Phone Relief works with your favorite phone. An amazing breakthrough product you'll use every day. Now only $12.95. Call toll-free to order by credit card and make this your last phone-in-the-neck call. Call now like one 800 1000 favorites. Our operators are giving tremendous discounts on additional units. Though. Remember this? We used to call it. That guy. I'm often grilling and I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I could get my phone on the side of my face <laughs> while I was grilling. Remember when phones had things on them? Crazy. Unbelievable. So what are we selling here, right? Lots of stuff people are selling us. We're selling um, really a lifestyle more than a drink, right? Actually, that Coke commercial at first when it was aired, the first one, um, it says, like, it, only Coke refreshes you. They had to rephrase it because there were some people who, like, filed a lawsuit that said other things could refresh you. As if you watched that and went, like, I need to be refreshed. Oh, Coke would do that. Or maybe it's selling you parenting. They're selling a car, and they decided, how can we sell this car? Well, if you can follow it on, on your Apple Watch... That could make you a good parent. So you buy this car and you'd be a really good parent. At least we'll up your parent game because you could follow your child wherever they go. I don't know if that's the best way to do that, but it's interesting. They're selling you a style of parenting. Some of them are pretty direct, right? If you want to be bold or you want to be strong or even just like, I want to be, there's something about a rebellion. I want to rebel. I want to fight against the man or my mom while parachuting on a bull, like, it's selling you boldness. If I eat a Butterfinger, I'm going to be bold. If, if I'm just, maybe just selling us convenience. I just, man, phones are really frustrating to hold on to. And this would make life so much better. Do you see how much cleaner that guy's desk was? And he looked like he, he had a nice suit on. He, he must really be successful because he has a 1295 headset thing. It's selling you like a bigger, right? This is That's what it does. It, that's why we watch those commercials. It tells us there's a bigger grander life, there's goodness, right? Real goodness if you eat KFC. If you're looking for true goodness, it's KFC. Uh, and so all those things are selling, right? Which is just a fun way to think about that. I think it's a good exercise maybe and for the rest of our life. Like what if you honed that skill of being able to kind of sniff out what are things actually trying to sell you? Then we'd find ourselves, I think, in a place where we weren't just seeing like, well, I know Coke doesn't really refresh my life. I know that buying the right car isn't actually going to make me a better parent. I know that getting KFC isn't going to actually create the, the right true goodness in my life. But I think uh, a lot of times we're getting sold a promise that we think is going to bring us life that isn't. Um, and I think it, 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 what it ultimately is doing is providing for us something that we think will bring life. And that's what the, the law here is helping us see that there's all these things we're trying to do and they aren't bringing us life like we think they are. It's indicating to us a thing. And so Paul just wants us to know, hey, the law isn't the problem. The law is here actually to help show us the problem. And the answer to that problem isn't us doing more of the law or doing the law better or just being better. The answer is finding the one who actually cures us of that sin the law. I, I had a little experience with this uh, this weekend. We went to Iowa for a couple of days to hang out with family and my sister-in-law is a principal so we got access to an elementary school gym which is pretty fun. And We went to play volleyball and I was going to show my daughters who play volleyball how you really play volleyball. This is a good dad move. And uh, I think I hit it one time like this and my shoulder made a weird noise and then I woke up the next day and I couldn't <laughs> move my arm and I woke up and like was like, oh I'm fine. It's fine. There's not like there's anything wrong with me. And in that moment, I could say, volleyball is terrible. No more volleyball in our house. It ruins your shoulder. Instead, it probably just indicated to me, you're old and out of shape and your arm doesn't work right, right? So it just is this thing. Volleyball became a law that helped me understand that I maybe need to work on my hits. I just need to like be able to rotate my arm all the way. I realize I don't do this motion and uh, I'm a kind of broken old man. And so... Paul here gets through this to say, hey, don't forget the law is actually holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And actually as Christ comes and rescues us and heals us and changes us, the law can be his helpful thing that can, and show us what God has for us. But the law isn't the thing that we do that gets us in right relationship with him. It gets us, heals us, gets us and cures us. It actually came as something very different. And so then, so then what do we do with this? I, this makes me feel encouraged that God was gracious in coming and saying, I want you to see that there's a problem and that there's a solution. I've come to rescue you. It also makes me go, I still feel that though. I still feel like I turn to promised things often that don't bring life and that bring death. Over and over I feel like this. And in fact, I feel sometimes like the law is crushing because it keeps telling me over and over that, that I'm... Broken, that I'm not good. The law can feel like very bad news if we just keep reminding ourselves the law tells us that something's wrong. Yeah, thanks, Drew. I know something's wrong. The law but there's something wrong. I know, I know there's something wrong. If we don't remember the really good news, the good news that the law is actually pointing us to. And that's the really good news that Genesis three doesn't end at Genesis three the really good news that the story continues. I get to share one of my favorite pictures ever. I think it's been a few months since I shared this, so every few months I get to pop up one of my favorite. This this great uh, work of art where uh, Mary is consoling Eve because it shows us a picture of why uh, and how the law doesn't need to crush us but remind us to go to the person who will rescue us. If all you have is law and sin and you just keep being reminded that that there's something wrong and it's sin and it brings death. Okay, okay, okay. But, but what's the, the promise then is that there's a better promise. And there's one that even is made in Genesis. Right after they turn away, God comes and he shares these curses that are on the man and the woman and the snake and creation. And he says to the snake, to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The first gospel that we get to hear, God says, I know right now you think maybe you won. Your promises seem to be bigger and better that they turn to you. But there is going to be a day when you're going to strike Eve's son's heel. And we know that's Christ will be put on a cross, but you will not destroy him. He will raise from the dead and he will crush your head, what an image we see in this cool picture, right? Of Mary consoling her and reminding her that the snake that once tangled up, that promise that tangled her up, that head will be crushed by her son. The real promise, the good promise. And we have a promise that is of life and it actually is of life. Think of Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, uh, is yours in Christ Jesus. Now this describes who Jesus is. Remember, we're people who keep turning to promises that we could be God and we don't need God. And our God does this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by be- taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our God says, I want to rescue my people, the ones who are stuck, who are being crushed, by this uh, this knowledge of the law bringing death and sin, and they can't figure it out, they can't get out of it, they keep turning to other promises, and I'm going to come, the promised one. I will step down as God and become man and, and go to death on a cross so that they could have life. I'll take that death that's coming from that sin that they're aware of because of the law so they can be rescued. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that... At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Christ is the the promised one. He's the one. The thing we're promised over and over. And in fact, not just that, but He makes promises to us in Him. These are the things I really want. These are the promises that I'm getting from a commercial and I'm getting from a whisper in my ear. These are the lies that I'm believing that come from within myself or or the culture around me, from Satan, right? These are the promises I'm told that they can bring and only Christ will bring these. In Matthew 11, we hear, come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest. He doesn't bring us death. In fact, he takes death so that we could have rest. In John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants. We're looking for life? He promises life, and actually he promises abundant life, even now, that will come now and eventually fully, as he makes all things new and right. In John 14.16, we hear, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to be with us, he says, I'm not even going to leave you. I'm going to leave with you God's spirit. That we're going to learn about more in uh, Romans 8. He promises in John 14, 3, And if I go and pre- I'll go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am with you uh, uh, may be with you also. This, uh, Jesus promises not only rest in life and the spirit, he promises that he's going to go and he's going to make a place for us. And he's not just going to leave us here, he will come back one day, make things right. He will be with us forever. And in Matthew 28, 20, at the end of Matthew, one of the last things that we hear from him as he gives us the great commission, he says, And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He promises us, He is with us always doesn't leave us. That's a promise that many things I'll run to. If you promise me like, that you're, that you're going to be with me, I'm not going to be alone in this, I would run to things. Jesus promises that and keeps that promise. These are good, good promises. I even encourage you here this week as we've um, uh, given homework a few weeks. I kind of did it randomly one week. I said, hey, read this for homework. And some of you did and we're really encouraged. You said, oh, it's kind of nice to be directed. I'm going to encourage you this week to read John 10 and look for pro- just John 10 by itself. Tells us all these things that Jesus has come to give us and promises us. Real promises of life that actually produce life. Real promises that don't bring death. That's what I, uh, I want to encourage you to think about this week. If our band wants to come up, we're going to sing songs. This is what we do when we sing songs. So instead of looking to something else for a promise of what could be or what, what is, we sing and it actually reminds us of real promises, who God is and what he's promised us and what he has given us. And so as we sing now, we get the opportunity to remember those promises. Also, as we take communion, it's an opportunity to remember what Christ has done in his death and resurrection. And then we get to remember, as he's commanded us to do in communion, to break bread, remembering his body broken and drink wine, remembering his blood shed, And that is what has rescued us from this curse that's rescued us from this sin that we know, thanks to the law, we know is here. What do we do with it? Well, he's come to rescue us. That's what we do with it. We turn to him. We also have people in the back of the room who are willing to pray with you. would love to pray with you. You can always give in response to uh, online or on our app. Uh, a few questions to consider and, and reflect on as we uh, move to a time of continuing our worship through music. Uh, will you allow Jesus to save you from your sin? Thank God often I just create more law, new law, new things. I think the law is here to give me a way to save myself. In fact, the law is here to indicate to you, you can't save yourself. And we get the opportunity to turn to Jesus for that. What promises of your life other than Jesus do you need to turn from? What things are promising you something and you keep going, but this is going to do it. It, It promises it'll bring life. And it's today the day to turn from those things. Say, I'm a I'm going to turn to Jesus who actually brings those things. And who can you confess sin to? Who will preach the gospel to you? Who will you talk to and they won't give you more promises that will bring death, but instead bring you? continue to point you to the one who brings life? And who needs to know that there's an answer and it's true? Who needs to know they can stop looking for a place to figure it out and that we know the place that figures out sin and brokenness? It's in Christ. Let me pray for us and we'll continue by singing words that will remind us of this good news and this good promise. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love towards us, your mercy, your grace that abounds. Thank you that grace abounds. Because the more the law reminds me of my sin, the more I need your grace. And oh, it is good news that you have promised us a rescue and you have brought it. And so I pray as we sing now together that you would Uh, stir in us that. You'd remind us that maybe we actually don't believe it, and so you'd help us believe that your promises are true and that your goodness is good. Thank you, Lord. You're good. Pray heal us now as we sing and worship you. Amen.